welcome from Amsterdam, and thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Game Consultant. Your host of today is Reinout. It is Wednesday, April 29th, and I want to welcome you for episode 22 of Game Consultant. First of all, thank you all for giving me lots of feedback on the interviews I did about finance. Richard from the Edison Group and uh, Sergey of Mail.ru Games Ventures. Really, um, keep that going. Uh, I, I love feedback. I love input. And um, But also my uh, episode of Sunday with Yussi, and I'm not going to say the sexy beast. Oh, I did. But it is superbeast.co. Branding in games, branding for your studio, and um, lots of uh, fun feedback. Um, so keep that going. For the people that are not aware and actually came to my site, podcastgameconsultant.com, um, yeah, you can listen. You can listen on so many other platforms of which, for example, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple uh, iTunes. You can uh, listen to my episodes. Also, in fact, you can subscribe. In the next couple of days, I am actually launching also my newsletter, which is nothing more than an update when I have done uh, a new episode and um, the links uh, explanation where the episode was all about, you know, the whole drizzle and shizzle. Um, but hey, um, before we get started with the introduction of my guest today, I, uh, I, I, I want to thank someone. Who? Well, her name is Heather, and Heather has a very nice title. She is, well, I call it a Pot Chaser Connect Specialist. Well, in essence, she connects. Um, she wrote me an email. Uh, it was Thursday, it was April the 16th, and out of the blue, I suddenly got an email in, and it said, I'm working with Pot Chaser Connect, a free service for podcasters that helps you connect with the qualified guest experts. And as she said, she came across a very interesting expert. <sniffs> and it is, and it made me so happy. It made me really, really, really happy. In the email, she actually um, did write that my guest of today is specialized in human computer interaction in live streaming, esports, gaming, and social media. And um, so she sends me the link uh, I'm reading it, and what do you know? So, here it goes. My guest of today is Yvette Won, and her bio says the following. Dr. Won's research area is human-computer interaction in the context of social media, focusing on non-conscious use of technology, such as media habits and the relation to psychological well-being and interpersonal relationships. There you go. She also studies how social media can help with social support and social identity. She has been featured on Wired Online, OpraMac.com, and she's also provided expertise on esports and platforms such as Twitch. Hmm. That's going to be quite a lot of questions that I will have. Um, she's running the Social Interaction Lab uh, where uh, where they actually study study the use of social technologies such as multiplayer games and social media and develop novel technologies for positive social interaction. Oh, um, that was quite a mouthful, but she deserves it all the way. Um, first, I'm going to do a little bit of news because there were a few things that I want to share with you. And then we hop up straight into the interview. So stay tuned and um, let's do some news first. So the news. Um, mobile game publisher Scopely finalized an acquisition of Peerplay, the LA-based game studio behind the recent hit Scrabble Go, which actually launched early March and already claims some eye-popping user stats. The deal terms were not disclosed. Um, what I'm reading more is that 
Peerplay has been housed with Scopely's LA headquarters for the past three years. After designers had been involved in another board game to mobile translation and then spun out out of their previous studio. That was accordingly to Chief Revenue Officer Tim O'Brien. Um, that article was on Forbes. You can also read more uh, details about Scopely on VentureBeat. Dean Takanashi actually wrote about it. Yeah, Scopely has done, obviously, um, the acquisition of Fox Next Games. Uh, that's the maker, actually, of uh, Marvel Strike Force. And they also raised ah, a whooping $400 million. Cash in the bank, right? Uh, then another announcement. Google and Electronic Arts EA partnered to bring Star Wars, FIFA, and Madden NFL to Stadia. The news was revealed, revealed via the latest Stadia Connect stream. Um, interesting to see that. Um, they always say when elephants fuck with elephants, don't get in the middle. Uh, but still, I have to see the outcome. Um, and then a very interesting one. Uh, tech innovator GameEye, they have partnered with Tencent for a new digital conference, um, the Industry Insight Conference. It will take place on May the 6th and will have a focus on the present and future of multiplayer gaming. <laughs> I want to say multiplier. Yeah, okay. Multiplayer gaming. Uh, industry experts from Supercell, Service.com, Splash Damage, uh, Kunlun, Makers Fund, Huyai, and R8 Games. Besides the new digital conference, the companies also have teamed up to bring GameSize game hosting solutions to China uh, through the Tencent Cloud. As a result, the tech firm's innovations will be available in all continents. Um, Sebastian, Sebastian Heine, uh, he's the CEO of GameEye. He is saying, we're very pleased to partner with Tencent Cloud to extend our service into China as a benefit to developers and publishers in both, both the East and West. Um, well done, Sebastian. Uh, then also a quote of Tencent Europe Vice President, Oh, here we go. Lee Shiwai. Um, GameEye is an important partner for Tencent Cloud Europe. Um, anything else? No, not really. Um, a lot of still Corona COVID news that uh, is mostly covered. So let's leave it with this. this and um, let's, um, let's go for the interview. The interview with Yvette. And um, if you like anything about live streaming, esports, gaming, social media, and the social interactions, then, well, today is your day. All right, today. Today, I'm talking to Yvette One. As I said in the intro, uh, Yvette is studying the role of algorithms in social interactions in live streaming, esports, gaming, and social media. And um, while I was doing some research, I asked some people from the industry to ask me some questions, but I'm first. Welcome, Yvette. Uh, Hi. <laughs> hello. Um, yeah, I was just saying, I, I read your, your whole profile. It's, it's so impressive. Um, and I promised I won't ask you the thousand questions that I have in mind. But um, if I may ask, can you do a quick uh, intro about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm an assistant professor at New Jersey Institute of Technology, and I also direct the Social Interaction Lab. And uh, my research is mostly looking at how people interact via computers, which can be social media, it can be online games. Uh, I'm especially interested in multiplayer online games because there's a lot of really interesting um, kind of person-to-person uh, -person interaction and group interaction that happens in these spaces. And most recently, uh, about uh, three years ago, I started also looking into live streaming. And as everyone in the gaming industry knows, like live streaming is like a really interesting a uh, part of gaming where now, you know, people like amateurs, professionals are broadcasting their gameplay and people are interacting with that online. And so between kind of uh, 
I look at gaming from like a lot of different angles, but mostly on the social aspect of things. So um, looking at uh, gamer interaction within games, outside of games, uh, in esports, and also on live streaming platforms, and also looking at uh, I mostly, I'm really interested in kind of uh, interactions that involve social support. So social support can include anything from emotional support to exchange of information as well as money. So that makes things really interesting. And I'm very, I feel very blessed to be studying uh, something that's so fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Because, because right now with with COVID nineteen going around, um, I guess social interactions uh, uh, are more intense. I mean, via via gaming, definite, but also the streams. Um, uh, is there anything you're yeah. noticing right now? Yes, I mean, um, I I forget where I saw this, but there was a metric published recently about like how much more traffic there is on is on Twitch because like people are watching more and um, and also streaming more. But I think the kind of also ironic thing is that uh, ten exactly ten years ago, I uh, published a study that was looking at how people can maintain relationships by playing. Uh, very simple Facebook games such as Farmville. And at the time, uh, it was severely criticized because people were like, why are you uh, spending money to to study like stupid Facebook games? And I think (laughs) (laughs) that, you know, 10 years later, we see so much more activity in that space. And like now that people are really isolated, I see so many families, especially extended families, playing these games. Um, and it doesn't have to be synchronous, like even through kind of asynchronous interactions, like we see people being able to feel connected. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Let's, let's go back then in the 10 years. I mean, um, we all know that Facebook was there. Um, we saw one of the biggest games coming out there with, well, what you said, uh, the Zynga games. We saw uh, Candy Crush. Um, at, at one point, everyone was complaining about everyone inviting everyone uh, to get more whatever you could get in the game. I saw Mafia Wars from Zynga, that everyone was going to the next level. It was sort of, it was the beginning of social gaming. And um, from from annoyed, like I'm getting too many messages to today, we actually are interacting in, in any sort of way within the games, watching the, at the games uh, via Twitch or YouTube. Um, that has gone fast in 10 years, wouldn't you say so? I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that like when I first started studying games, I mean, gaming was already so like it was definitely not the beginning of gaming research. There was like, you know, a couple decades of gaming research before that as well. But I think that the really interesting thing that I found in my research was that, you know, a lot of previous research was looking at like uh, massively multiplayer online games where it's very kind of intense interactions that often involve um, like playing together at the same time and exchange of lots of intense visuals and audio. But when we think about these really simple games on these mobile phones, like people think, oh, this is meaningless interaction, right? And so one of the things that I really wanted to look at was like, are these actions really meaningless? Like, especially because when people are, for example, uh, like sending you requests to send them like certain ingredients that they need or materials that they want or exchanging virtual gifts, a lot of times the motivation for that is not to really help out the other person, but because the game incentivizes you to do that. So this was a concept that um, like in the industry, like we were tossing around as saying it's faux social, like false social. And so I was uh, trying to see if there's any evidence for that. And what was really interesting is that I found that regardless of the motivation for why people exchange things, the behavior of exchanging itself actually increases like perceived closeness. And so I think that was really interesting because like you think that, you know, when people are sending you these requests over Facebook for these games, like it, when they're doing that, they're not really thinking, oh, I want to improve my relationship with this person. But over time, those repeated, the behavior itself actually lends itself to kind of psychological closeness. So I think that means that like, even if, you know, uh, you're not having 
I mean, I'm not saying that you should replace all your meaningful interactions with these simple interactions, <laughs> yeah. but there is some benefit from these simple interactions as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've seen uh, marriages uh, uh, coming out of a, out of a game, out of a game, through a game. That's better said. Uh, people that actually did meet in a game and eventually got married. Um, mm -hmm. um, a, a friend of mine, he's uh, the CMO of Lockwood, Lockwood Publishing, and they have a world called African Life. And they now have real DJs performing for people that can actually walk around in, 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 in that world and actually are now watching uh, and listening to to real DJs, um, and and that 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 is actually growing and growing, and that leads actually to question that uh, Joachim uh, from Elite Game Developers is asking me right now. I'm getting his email in, and he says, um, "What would you think about the virtual concerts in Fortnite, and why Epic Gaming is doing them, um, and what would you see for the whole games industry?" What can you learn from those events? Um, is this just, the, yeah, obviously it's the beginning, but where can it lead to? You know, I, I would say that actually this is not the beginning. And I feel like uh, maybe like now is the time that it be becomes more popular in terms of kind of general gaming. But we've seen you know, for like 20 years, like people congregating in these virtual spaces and repurposing games for and not and doing things that like game developers may not think is actually gaming activity you know so for example like people in world of warcraft getting together and instead mm -hmm. of going around and doing the quest they're just like hanging out and like dancing and doing <laughs> and, and talking yeah. and this is this is even like before games were immersive like even in like multiplayer uh, online dungeons like like way back you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way back when, like, pe this is what people are doing. Like, think, like, as people, there's like, um, we have a psychological tendency to want to interact with other people and connect with other people. And a game is just like another way to do that. And so I think that the concert in Fortnite is absolutely like reflective of what people want. And, um, I think that we will see like more of that in the future if the companies are, you know, I mean, a lot of them, I think this one was interesting because it was the company that kind of organized this thing. But we've seen like people at a very smaller scale, like self-organize these events. And so I think that it's absolutely in the game uh, developers kind of interest to carve out, like think about kind of the open uh, ended play that can happen you know mm -hmm. when people are thinking of especially like games that have quests and things like that people think oh it's just the objective and like how do we get to the objective but you know some people are there that are really focused on the object objective but there are other types of players who just kind of want to hang out and i think that um being able to provide a space for those people to do those kind of things is going to be very beneficial and will prevent them from going to other platforms that allow them to do that, you know? So we have like social virtual reality platforms. There's like a lot of other places that people can go. But if people, um, you know, if there's a space in your game where people can kind of hang out, then, you know, you're preventing them from going to those other <laughs> platforms. So, so yeah. I think that would be a really good idea. Yeah. So then, then uh, most likely this could have an effect. Because bottom line, what you say, yeah, in this case, Epic did, did organize it. Epic is is huge; everyone knows about it. Fortnite, of course, uh, one of the top games. But what you're saying is interesting. You you basically say it's already happening. It's what gamers do themselves. Would you reckon that game developers should actually be uh, taking notice of it while developing a games? So maybe make make um yeah how should i say it's um give players the chance to uh uh to hang out um should you should you take should you take care of that during your development of the game i think that this is something that game developers should consider in the future because a lot of the game development design is, of course, uh, informed by game metrics. And I think that's like an excellent practice. But yeah. at the same time, you have to think about what are these metrics capturing? There are, it captures 
like uh, visible behaviors, right? What about all the invisible behaviors that you wouldn't know unless you're in that community and looking at what people are doing, right? Yeah. And so like people just hanging out and talking, that's not going to be captured uh, aside from kind of time they're spending on the game. That's not going to be captured by any kind of achievement metric. And so I think it's like important to understand that, yes, we have these metrics that we should be kind of focusing on, but then there are also things that are not being captured by these metrics, like especially a lot of the social interactions. And I think that uh, keeping that in mind um, opens it up to a lot of opportunity. Yeah, got it, got it. So how how are you looking now today at, at the whole thing of streaming? I mean, um, uh, a while ago, uh, Chris Reed, who has an item in my, my podcast, he was saying like, yeah, NASCAR, NASCAR uh, has an older audience that looks at at the track and and now the young guys are actually watching it online and then now since COVID there is no uh racing anymore not not on the track itself so they are actually watching the 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 the, the races itself but now online so the audiences come together so uh old and young are basically now watching online together um what what does it mean for streaming? What does it mean then for social interaction? What does it mean within families? Right. I mean, I'm really surprised that uh, game streaming took as long as it as did to really take <laughs> take off. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like when we think about the whole idea of sports in general. Um, few people play it more people are watching it right yeah. uh, and, and and even if we don't think of it at the professional level like even at an amateur level you know it's still enjoyable to watch your friends play yeah. and so i think that it's just like a natural part of this activity that i don't know why we've been ignoring for so long i mean part of me like understands that there's like you know technical complications and things like that that i think made it take as long as it did but i only see like I I see streaming just becoming like a bigger and bigger part of gaming. Um, of course, at the professional level, we have like esports and uh, esports broadcasting, but also at the amateur level as well. And I think what this means for game developers is also, um, you know, thinking about there are going to be games that are more kind of streamer friendly. And like when people are developing games, they usually don't think about, okay, what is this game going to look like uh, from the person who's watching the game versus the person playing the game. And I think that in the future, uh, you know, while they're doing kind of user research, they're going to, developers are going to have to think not just about the player, but also about the viewer. Um, and I think that, is kind of an added dimension that will add more complexity to gaming as well. And then I think the other thing is just kind of um, for somebody who is streaming, like sometimes having uh, like uh, different types of metrics um, that can be visible to, to like uh, viewers, I mm -hmm. think would also be like really great. So like um, for example, there are, <clears throat> Uh, like, for example, like having kind of add-ons where you can have like overlays to your game that that show certain metrics that maybe like if you're a single person player just playing through, like doesn't matter as much. But like when you're streaming towards an audience, uh, maybe something like that could be really, um, really useful. So I think that like thinking ways, not just in gameplay itself, but also kind of in the interface, I think there's like a lot of opportunity for new development there. Funny, there's a company called Game Buddy, and they. Um, so the, I was looking at the pitch deck, uh, and 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 uh, bottom line, influence the influencer, um, uh, social interaction. So uh, viewers can actually tease, challenge the influencer to do certain things. Um, um, and then, funny enough, I did ask Niklas, uh, he's, he's one of the guys behind it, uh, also like, hey, do you have a question? And he actually came up and he says, how important is it, um, according to you, uh, the social interaction in live streaming? And also, where can you see the problems right now? But also, can you see the role of brands in that ecosystem? And how can it be improved? Because it is such an audience at large. Um, I guess the brands will definitely also want to get a piece of the pie. 
Right. I mean, this is like a very uh, controversial thing. And I don't know if you remember, like around uh, the mid 2000s, um, there was this whole this rise in machinima that never really took off. Um, and and if you remember, there was like a, I went to this conference with a bunch of lawyers and, from like, you know, big companies. And they were all like, we don't know what to do about this machinima. Like, do we need to charge people for using our games to make movies or yeah. do we just kind of benefit from the free PR? And I think that's kind of. Uh, unfortunately, Machino never really took off, so the, so it never became an issue where the game companies were like, "Oh, we're missing out on so much money." But I think that streaming is going going there. You know, um, you know, you have you know millions of people like watching, or tens of thousands of people watching games like you know Fortnite, Call of Duty, etc. Yeah. And the game companies would be like, "What am What are we getting out of this aside from the free publicity?" Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's like a, I mean, it's it's one thing that I think that is like something that we need to figure out. And, you know, I honestly really like the idea of free publicity because like in my research, I found that a lot of people, one of the reasons why they, I mean, there are multiple reasons why people watch, but like a quite prominent reason is because they want to see if they would actually play the game and instead of kind of investing time and money yeah. into it they would they would rather watch so i think that the free publicity part is is definitely um is definitely uh beneficial but i also really like the idea of kind of these in-app purchases and aside from like epic it seems that like not everybody has been able to really capitalize on this as as well as they could. And um, based on my research, I found that like people who are connected to other people, like these kind of social motivations, those people are way more likely to spend. And among the spenders, they're also more likely to spend more. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, there's a lot of evidence showing that like, if you're able to really facilitate these social interactions, you could absolutely benefit from it. And I think that there's, uh, of course, there's a lot more nuance to what will work. And I think it also depends on the game genre. So, um, so for example, like Fortnite has been very good at se selling skins, for example. Will that work in a different game? I would argue it depends on the game because yeah. um, based on our research, we found that the reasons why people spend in Fortnite are different from why they spend in other games. And if you look at that mechanism, um, Fortnite is really all about kind of it's a battle royale, right? So it's mm -hmm. a competition where you have to beat everyone to the end. And we found that like looking unique in that situation, like being different from everyone, everybody else is like a very important mechanism for why they want to spend. Um, so the kind of it's a social motivation, but it's it's less of a being like somebody else and more of like wanting to stand out. Um, and, and I think that this is different from what we've seen in like MMOs, for example, where we see that like people who are, uh, playing in teams or, or playing with friends, like they're more likely to like buy things also to like gift other people. So it's, yeah, it's different and it depends on, it depends on the game mechanism. So really yeah. understanding your game, I think is important. Yeah, the, the the gifting part it's there in Fortnite, but I think it's it's not being used so much. Uh, no, skin wise, yeah. But then uh, let's take it to. Um, I still want to come back on the brand and, and 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 streaming, but now we're talking about Fortnite. Doesn't it? Doesn't Fortnite become more like an entertainment platform instead of a game? And is gaming uh in general not going that way? I mean, absolutely. I think that, like, the way we think about games needs to be different. Like, it's not like this one thing. Like, we need to think about it as this holistic entity. And so that's why I've done a lot of cross-platform studies where, for example, if I'm studying Fortnite, I'm not just looking at people's uh, behavior in Fortnite. I'm also looking at, you know, how much are they uh, watching Fortnite on stream? How much are they streaming Fortnite themselves? How much are they spending within the game? How much are they spending in live streams? And I think that looking t at this holistic picture is going to be kind of really advantageous to companies who can take take kind of build in features that make that attractive. Yeah. And 
what do you think in general for gaming then? If you now develop a game, um, so in the past I, I always said like, yeah, gaming is nice add-on uh, for a movie and for board games and, and, and all kinds of other kinds of vertical music. But now it's more like gaming itself. I mean, the music is, is pulling towards gaming. It's uh, movie IPs that actually, uh, well, from, from a game, a movie has now been made and vice versa. Um, is gaming becoming more a center right now? So in, in general, the center of entertainment. And, and, and with that, yeah, that's actually the question. Otherwise, I'll go all the clock. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the gaming industry is already bigger than the music and movie industry combined. Yeah, so sure. it's like uh, no doubt that it has a quite profound impact on our society. Um, I think that, I, you know, I'm sure gaming companies are aware of this, but there's a lot of derivative entertainment that's related to games. You know, once a new game comes out, you have all this fan fiction, you have all this fan art. Yeah. Um, that's like quite a substantial amount of activity that like, you know, that kind of helps people develop these like stronger feelings towards the games. Like um, even like you have like game porn, which I'm sure they don't endorse, but like there's like so yeah. many creative activities that are that are happening around these games. Um, there's no reason why, for example, like, uh, you know, I teach classes online. There's no reason why I can't hold it, you know, in a, in a multiplayer online game. Um, there's, a, I think, a lot of opportunity because the virtual worlds are constructed so well. There's like a lot of opportunity to do other things in the games aside from, of course, the the games themselves. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's like, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for gaming companies to expand. But I think also like you know the people that they bring on their team, I think also need to. Uh, have perspective and expertise outside of gaming as well. And kind of going back to the brand thing that you were saying earlier, I think... <laughs> You're reading I my think, mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that we really need to capitalize on is like this idea of this long tail. So like, of course, you can spend a lot of money to get Ninja to play your game, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, that will have a lot of impact. But think about like all the tens of thousands of people who are maybe streaming to less than 100 people yeah. and you might think oh you know that person is only streaming to 20 viewers that's unnecessary for me to get involved in but if there's tens of thousands of those smaller streamers then that's a quite a big audience if you think about it yeah. and so I think that one of the things that right now is that as a strong small streamer you it's um the way that and this is kind of like in general of the internet in of how the internet works, like the business model of the internet is everything is based on an attention economy, which means that, you know, you need more eyeballs, more people in order to start making money. So if you are like an influencer, you can't be an influencer if you only have like a thousand followers, like you have to have tens of tens yeah. of thousands, right? Brazilian, yeah. um, or, or millions. Now I guess like the threshold is, <laughs> is constantly going up. Yeah. But I, th I think that there is an opportunity to find like smaller ways of letting the you know um letting the smaller streamers also do something and i think twitch has uh been really great about kind of discovering these smaller initiatives so for example they now have like a sponsored content where if you're a small streamer um even if you're a small streamer if you stream a certain game for a certain number of hours you're still able to make money on that and I think like small things like that I mean uh, you know I'm not going to give out a ton of free ideas here but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um but but I Come think on. that you, you know there are uh, creative ways of thinking of like how do I capitalize on this smaller streamer yeah. and it's it's not just about the number so of course there's the numbers like I would argue like first of all you need to think about the smaller streamer because collectively there are they stream to a huge number of people. But yeah. aside from the numbers, the second thing is kind of the connection that people feel to the streamer. Like I've done so much research on like viewer streamer interaction and viewers who like, especially small streamers, they have this very loyal following. Um, like people are, um, I recently published a paper called Digital Patronage. Uh, this is what I'm calling 
like this is like patronage in the dig digital age like people are paying a streamer five dollars a month or ten dollars a month on a recurring basis because they love the streamer so much so it's not even about like the numbers that you're showing to if you are able to market your thing through smaller streamers they have followers who are way more emotionally attached and that's i think how you start making money through you know people who are very very emotionally invested it's very nicely said so everyone that's watching ninja at large i mean all the audience they're basically watching and, and i'm a bit numb just watching and what you're saying is that smaller streamers with uh, a smaller audience have more emotional attachment so they the, the recognition of the brand could actually be much higher Right. Yeah. I mean, let me give you an example. So, you know, watching Ninja, for example, is like watching Kim Kardashian. Uh, you know, there's uh, it, they're a celebrity. You have no personal interaction with them. Yeah. And so, like, if they put out a product like um, I saw, like Ninja sells like T-shirts and underwear and things like that. Shoes. Like, you know, they, yeah. they might <laughs> they might buy the product. But I've seen smaller streamers also sell their own product and it's not like at like major like they don't like, like have a, a major kind of like brand line but they still are able to cater to a smaller audience because that audience has a very strong emotional connection to them yeah. and so i think that um you know i think it's been hard i think the game industry could get way more creative in terms of thinking about how we can make money. Um, you know, traditionally it was like either, okay, somebody pays for a game, like a subscription or like a one-time thing, or maybe you get some, like if it's a racing game, you get some like in-house in-game advertisements or whatnot. But I think that's just, that's just the beginning. Yeah. There are two topics that I just want to cover. One is Roblox. It's uh, all over the news. They're raising funding, so many users, parents at home using Zoom, as they say, and kids are on Roblox. Um, what is it that suddenly Roblox is, is so popular? I mean, they were, they were already doing well, but um, it, 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 it's, it's suddenly increased rapidly. Uh, everyone is talking about Roblox. Is that, can you actually say something about social pressure? He's on Roblox, he's, so I should be there too? Or what do you think? Um, are you like this the game specifically? Like why people are are no. playing that game or it's more the platform. Um, I think it's just there's I I talked a little bit before about a lot of derivative creative activity and I think that this is maybe, I mean, it's not there yet, but maybe it's like the new Minecraft. I mean, why was Minecraft so popular? It's like an open sandbox where people can do anything, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that if you let people have that creativity, then they're going to spend more time on it. Like, um, just to give a really personal example, I really love this game called Train Valley 2. It's yeah. like very small developer you know you deliver you collect resources and you deliver trains and yeah. uh, anyway um i've spent over 100 hours on this game <laughs> the reason so the initial game i finished in i don't know less than 20 hours like they have like i think like 20 levels or something like that and so you know it it, it didn't take that long but they have a sandbox mode where anybody can create a map and the map building community is pretty small but they're pretty active at developing new maps so like every day you know i log in oh no there's a new map i have to play this new map um and so i think that kind of that's like a way of extending your shelf life is also kind of uh enabling um, users to kind of customize uh, customize aspects of the game so that they can play on it on it longer. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't um, speak specifically to the platform because I haven't studied the platform. But I think in general, like these type of open ended games, like allow for a lot of creativity. And so, like you know, why do kids play with? What Lego so much like why is Lego such a popular brand right yeah. um, I think it's just kind of you know people love creating and um, if you give them a place to do that they will do that cool. 
Last question, and that goes something that I find interesting, and that's educational games. Are you doing anything in that field? I mean, if you look at all the interaction that we're seeing in, in, in real-life gaming, um, are there any aspects um, that can be used in educational games? Right. I mean, educational games is like a whole different area, so my specialty is not educational games, um, uh, specifically because I think there are... I think it's really important that um, there's also like not a very loosey-goosey definition of what an educational game is. Um, in my opinion, like learning, like anyone can teach anything, but some people are more qualified to teach than others, right? And yeah. <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, educational games usually involve like collaborations with actual educators. And uh, that is not something that I do. Um, I think there are opportunities for commercial games to also be educational in nature and be used for educational purposes. And like, for example, like Minecraft is, is one of them. Um, or for example, there's lots about like virtual economies or team collaboration or uh, lots of things that can learn through games, even yeah. if the games weren't built for that purpose. Yeah. Um, but I think that an educational game is, is different from, from, creating you know uh so it's like it's kind of like you know when you're creating like a commercial movie like that's different from like creating you know a, a video teaching somebody something so yeah. even if the game has learning benefits like i think educational games is like a whole different area and that you know that involves different mechanics um like the gameplay mechanics that we see in commercial games, like some of them could be applied to educational games um, because at the core there's like learning happening. But I think um, especially with developmental games, I think that one has to be like very careful because uh, one of the things like, for example, we talk a lot about like the stickiness factor and like how, how you get people really engaged in games. But when you're thinking about an educational game, you also have to be careful because like there's, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, like stickiness could also be addiction, right? Yeah. And so if you have like this learning game that is making kids addicted to the game, like is that a good educational game? Yeah, <laughs> is, I think yeah, yeah, pro yeah. Pro probably not. So like you want to do things in moderation, whereas like with a commercial game, like you probably have less restraints yeah. related to that. Got it. Hey, how? Uh, let's say there are game developers out there. Can they just approach you for for uh, for advice, or how is that working? I mean, you're doing research on one hand, uh, but are you also taking that research uh, under your belt and then say like, okay, guys, I, I can help you with that? How's that working? I mean, I'm like always open to like consultancies. Um, I don't uh, aggressively seek them out because I feel like. Um, and I and I, I think I should more. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think I should because I think that there's yeah. a lot I can offer. Uh, I think um, I don't know how familiar you are with like how the professor track works, but like for professors, like the first six years of their career is like very. Um, you kind of really need to focus on your research because uh, you you need to get a tenure. Yeah. Like after tenure, you have a little bit of more flexibility. So. Um, like starting next year, I'll have a little bit of more flexibility. Yeah. Um, but I'm always open to people who approach me. I've also uh, talked with people who work at Twitch because of my streaming research, like not uh, just uh, not like in any formal capacity, but kind of, you know, giving informal advice. Um, also, like when I go to like game related uh, conferences, like where the, we present academic game research, I see a lot of people from like I've talked to people from like Riot Games, like Facebook Games, um, at these conferences where I present my research because like they kind of want to know like what are the practical implications for them. So yeah, I mean feel free to contact me and like really happy to to share more insight. And I think a, a lot of this thing is also um, very contextual. So mm -hmm. you know what might work for one game may not with others. So it's like very important to look at like, what are the exact mechanisms that are contributing to the success in one game? So, I mean, I guess it goes without saying that like, just because it worked for this other game does not necessarily mean it will work for you. And like, you have to really understand your user base. Yeah. 
Got it. Well, um, <clears throat> I might actually have two companies that uh, should definitely be interested in uh, in talking to you. So um, um, it, 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 it has been really, really insightful for me also. Um, <clears throat> uh, obviously, we know that everything is growing and it's growing fast and, and gaming is hot. But also, um, exactly what you said, uh, the end of purchase, we're still... Uh, as an industry, I always say, you know, um, if you acquire uh, 100% new gamers, new users, then uh, are you doing well if you do 3 to 5% uh, that will pay? Uh, some extraordinary, uh, the Clash of Clans that are around 10, 14%. And, and, um, but it's, it's sort of a, a custom number these days. And, and, and everyone is sort of like, okay, that's the number. And, and either we perform better or we don't. Um, but um, I think there is a lot that can be learned about the interaction with your community. Um, one one thing we always said, like, yeah, if, if someone is spending in the game and others should know it, um, like in Candy Crush, people were always saying, no, I don't spend any money because there is sort of an, uh, a hurdle to admit that you're actually paying for a game. Um, back in the days when, when, when I did an opening uh, or a keynote, then I asked who's playing games. No one would raise their hands in, in, uh, in the room. Uh, today, everyone is raising their hand, but now there's sort of a, the hurdle of uh, am I paying for games? And that's slowly also uh, becoming more normal, normalized. People admit, yeah, I pay uh, either recurrent or I pay or I donate some money to a streamer that I like or I pay in a game. So, um, but I, I think a lot of people, a lot of developers could actually uh, dive in a bit deeper when it comes to um, interaction with your, with your community. So, yeah. I absolutely agree. And especially like you said, um, where this is kind of like a really good time for the gaming industry, but soon we're going to get to that point where we reach, where everybody's going to be playing a game and there's no more new users to acquire. Yeah. Uh, so social media is kind of at that point right now, like Facebook, like 98% of people use Facebook. So th they're not going to make money acquiring new people it's all about like what are you do going to do with the people that you have right and how are you going to keep those people yeah. and i think that like like any kind of research that i've done on any online community is really about these social factors those are the ones that are going to make people stay and um and i think that like the past where like people where we try to give items to people uh, or make them pay to the kind of like cheat in the game or advance in the game like that has never really worked out very well mm. but like looking at kind of ways of uh, you know buying things for social interactions or buying things for like cosmetic purposes has been pretty successful I think um, so, so are yeah you saying, I think uh, gaming is the new e-commerce gaming is a new e-commerce I mean, I just, I see gaming as a part of e-commerce. Like, I don't see the the difference between that. And I think that this is something where, especially like older people have a, have a hard time understanding. Um, but for younger people, they don't differentiate between virtual items and physical items. So, yeah. you know, people are paying, you know, $5 to get a ninja emote. Like, what are they going to do with a ninja emote? I mean, they, you know, it's not a tangible object, but they pay money for that. And so we have to kind of, you know, uh, you know, you, it used to be people think, oh, like this, like virtual skin. It's like you don't really, it's just like a pixel, right? Yeah. But people have emotional connections to those virtual items. And so I think that we need to kind of completely get rid of this notion that tangible objects are different from virtual objects. Yeah, but a lot of people were always saying to me, like, yeah, in, in, in China, people work during the day, but then their, their second life, their alter life is, is, is starting by night. And, and, uh, and then they're a complete new uh, person, new character uh, in the game. Um, and, and, and they treasure that so much more than uh, the hard work they have to do during the day. <laughs> uh, so, um, but it's, 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 it's more like, um, it's all you can be in a game and, and that makes them maybe emotionally attached. If you're, if you're good in a game, yeah, uh, you, you most likely will spend maybe also more or you interact more with groups because 
yeah, uh, people want to play with you or want to learn from you. Uh, and then slowly you move maybe to become an influencer or whatever it is. But yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. I want to thank you. I want to thank you really a lot for... Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, what I'll do is um, I'll send you the link of the episode tomorrow and uh, I'll... Um, I'll uh, put a link to to your LinkedIn profile and your expert file, and um, and people uh, can then approach you directly, which I definitely think they should. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. <laughs> bye bye. I. Uh... I want to thank uh, Yvette. This uh, was really insightful. And um, yeah, if you are a game developer or you are interested in esports streaming um, and you want to know more about how to engage, how to how to look at social interaction, um, anything goes in that field, then uh, reach out. I mean, I have her LinkedIn in my blog post and um you can find it um if you're now listening on uh, spotify uh then uh, or apple or google podcast or wherever you're listening this uh, you can always go to podcastgameconsultant.com and then you're going to the section uh, episodes and um you will find all the links there uh, also some background uh, uh, concerning Yvette. So, um, again, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, this was already episode 22. Um, this upcoming Sunday, I have Kate Edwards. And I keep on saying she doesn't need any introductions, but we have so many questions. In the meantime, if you have questions for Kate, shoot them over. I will ask them uh, as long as we have time. And as I always say, ciao for now. This was all for today. Thanks so much for listening to Game Consultant. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. And remember, do share this podcast with other members of the games industry.